It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you opt to throw out most of your horror franchise's horror for comedy? Why you get Army of Darkness. Why, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And we are, oh, (laughs) I have to kind of say it this way, we are finally done with Ashtober with this episode. October has been a very long month for me. Not only have I been doing a podcast a week, but daily there have been many reviews on the YouTube channel, on the Facebook page, Instagram TV, and then a little blurb every day on Twitter. Doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're watching a movie a day and you're trying to get everything else done in your life, it's going to be a little rough. Uh, But I'm very happy to be at the... I don't want to say very happy to be at the end. I'm very happy that we're finally at Army of Darkness. Because Army of Darkness, out of all the Evil Dead movies, holds the special place in my heart because it was honestly the first of all of Sam Raimi's films that I had seen. Now, actually, I'm going to have to strike that and reverse it, right? Uh, it was the first of his Evil Dead trilogy that I had seen. I'd actually seen Darkman way before I had actually seen this you know, film. But I remember that this movie was one where when I saw previews for it, I was like, what the hell is this? You know, and I was just a, you know, pretty young kid at that point. It came out in 92, so, you know, for me, <laughs> I hadn't even hit my teens yet. And I'm seeing this, and I'm like, I really want to see this movie. Is it rated R? Yeah. But, you know what? It's only rated R because of language, to be honest with you. My parents, being the parents that they are, let my sister, uh, my good friend at the time, and myself all go by ourselves to see it while they saw some other movie. So they bought us tickets, and the people at the theater didn't really seem to give a shit that it was, you know, a bunch of young kids going to see an R-rated movie, you know. And then we entered the theater... And there was maybe five other people that were in there. Now, this is one of those theaters back in the day. Um, well, you know, everything is so nice. I'm not going to go on a long tangent. But everything's nice that everything's like stadium seating. And it's all reserved seating. And not like it would have mattered here. But if you go to a really old theater nowadays and they don't have the stadium seating. And it's just kind of like aisles going down. And you could, you know not necessarily see over somebody if it was really, really tall, or it would have really impacted your view if you were a little kid. That's the type of theater it was. And it was the smallest out of all the theaters there. And yet, there was still like maybe six or seven people besides us, the three of us, that went and saw this movie. And I remember just falling in love with it. And it's probably because, like I said in the intro, it's a lot more slapstick than anything else. And I think that in my mind, like, it was, oh, we're going to go see a horror movie. And my buddy at the time was really into horror stuff. I was just uh, on the outside of everything. Like, the ideas really intrigued me. 
The stories are really cool. I was really big into fantasy and D&D and horror kind of lends itself in that type of realm. Not necessarily the fantasy realm, but just interesting stories, right? It's not just a drama or a comedy where a lot of comedies seem to follow the same formula and a lot of dramas kind of do too, but some that really stand out are really different. But horror, regardless of what it is, the story is usually pretty interesting it just can be the execution that is absolute trash. Um, and, and so when it came to this, I just remember like sitting there and watching it and like liking it so much because it was that horror thing that like my cool friend was really into, but at the same time, it didn't scare me. So I was totally okay with watching it and I just loved Bruce Campbell. Like I loved the character of Ash everything that he did and this is really Bruce's movie and you know he does a double billing here as both good ash and bad ash uh and it was you know even at the time like I didn't really realize that as a kid uh in fact it took me much later to be like oh really he stayed in the suit because there is something and I'll just address it right now because Bill Mosley is in this movie uh you are not going to recognize him at all but when you go like to the IMDb or to the Wikipedia or whatever about this, it says that he's the Deadite Captain or Captain Deadite or however you want to put it. And it led a lot of people to believe that he actually was Badash when Badash was killed and came back as a Deadite. But that's actually incorrect. He's just literally a guy on a horse. Like, at one point in the movie, there will be the scene, and I'll point out the scene when it happens, but he doesn't really say anything. I think he says one line in the entire movie, and it's funny, and I did some research when I, like, saw it, because I wasn't, like, I looked at him like, really? Bill Mosley's in this movie? And then, reading up on the stuff, I was like, oh, okay, so that's exactly where he is. Because I really wanted to find out that information. That was something that I just learned Recently, when I was trying to look up somebody else in the film, I'm like, who's that? I was looking up the lead actress to find out that she's on Grey's Anatomy, but, you know, I don't really watch that show. My wife does. And trying to find out what character she plays and so that maybe I can kind of get a, you know, bearing here. But, honestly, it was more surprising to find out that Bill Mosley was even in this film. And he does say, yeah... It was me, and he, he put out a picture a while ago of him on uh, the set getting all of his makeup done. Um, I realize, I do apologize, my nose is a little stuffed up by the time I'm recording this, and hopefully it goes away, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, we're just going to have to deal with it, both you and I. So, Army of Darkness, it really is, I can understand why this film is like, it either goes one way or the other for most people. At least most people that I've talked to. You either hate it or you love it. Um, and for some that do and maybe like it is kind of a, you know, I don't want to say a better word than love. Um, but for most, I'm also finding out that it's probably everybody's least favorite like Evil Dead movie out of the, the whole trilogy that's going on here. Um, and... It, it I can see why. And what I did was, going through this, and especially with the review, 
this is going to be the first time there's going to be two ratings at the end of this. Because I decided to try to take the nostalgia blinders of it. And I always try to do that. And sometimes it doesn't really work. But this time I really like sat with it. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've seen a lot of stuff. Because as I've been like doing this, people have been talking and have been really going through and being like, okay, well, you know, this is my favorite. And... You know, I'm not a big fan of Army of Darkness, or I was never a big fan of Evil Dead, but or this is the only good one out of them. You know, I, I've seen all of this from different people, and so I'm like, you know what? This is my favorite, and it's my favorite just because it was my introduction to Ash. It was my introduction to the world of the Evil Dead. It was my introduction to a lot more horror stuff. So I have this like deep-seated like attachment to Army of Darkness. And that's probably why, even watching it again, I still love it. But I decided to take a step back, and I decided to really put myself in that situation. If I truly, truly had to give this film a review and give it a score based upon my scoring scale what would it honestly be so you're gonna get that and then you're gonna get the review like the my own you know this is this is what i think it is personally i mean reviews in general are all people's opinions right everybody has one not everyone is right but it's really based on like What's your experience while you're watching the film? If something doesn't hit you right, or something seems dumb, kind of like whatever that movie we're going to go see later today is, um, it it automatically is going to skew you in a specific way. Even if you're a critic, even if you're the best critic in the world, it's still going to be like, huh, I get what he's doing, but at the same time, uh, like it, it just irks you and then some people are going to be like man this is just one of the best things that they've ever done um and so this film itself it was it wasn't made for a whole lot when you think about it well actually 11 million is nothing to scoff at and it did manage to make 25.5 million overall um it made about i think it's about 14 million in the US box office and the rest was made overseas so for this type of film it was a hit like i said my theater uh, opening weekend almost nobody in there probably because you know i guess horror isn't big in the more posh communities of San Ramon California um but this film was only greenlit because of the success of Darkman with uh, Mr. Liam Neeson's and which again, that's another film that might be on the way at some point. Um, I haven't seen that in forever, and I actually remember really enjoying it. But I remember that actually being my first introduction to Sam Raimi when I didn't know who Sam Raimi was. At Army of Darkness, I didn't know who Sam Raimi was. So, <laughs> but this put him more on my radar and wanting to see, especially as I learned, there's other army of darkness well evil dead movies because i remember sitting in the in the theater in the beginning of this and you get that nice little recap which we'll get into a second uh and it's like what the hell like i thought that was the jumping point of the movie i didn't realize that was the end of evil dead 2 that they were just kind of recapping now one of the big issues that i do have with this film after watching all of these movies back to back to back to back is that 
he retcons stuff like crazy. Now, I get it. Evil Dead 2, stuff got retconned because, technically, he was just kind of retelling the story from Evil Dead, but turning it into a comedy, right? For, well, a comedy-ish horror. A little more horror than comedy at times, a little more comedy than horror at other times. So, you had that, right? And then this retcons Evil Dead 2's ending to give you more. And retcons other things about Ash that you never knew before either. And that's a little frustrating, to be honest with you. Because I wish things had been kept in a certain thing, like schedule of uh, story, right? When you're writing a trilogy of something, you know... and. Honestly, I don't think that you can call this a trilogy. You can only call it a trilogy because it's three films, right? Really, it would have been great if the first movie was called Evil Dead, and the second movie was called The Birth of Ash, and then Ash versus the Army of Darkness, or Army of Darkness. Actually, this has another name, which some people called it, and I remember from back in the day, it was called Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness, and then they just turned into Army of Darkness. Because uh, even, I think, in one of the trailers, you can hear them say Bruce Campbell versus... Especially with the TV trailers. That's the way they did it. And honestly, Bruce is the star. <laughs> so it's kind of like, alright, I get it. Um, now, the other thing I want to point out, too, before we start, besides the normal... Oh, there's some clips that are long and things have been cut and I've edited things down and stuff like that. I have done that. Um, this is the quote-unquote bootleg version. So that's the version that I have. If you've ever seen this one before, it looks like it comes in a paper bag. And it just says, uh, you know, Army of Darkness, like, bootleg edition. Um, and this one has the original ending to the film, and also has some lines that are changed here and there. And I realized it as I was watching it, because I've watched this movie so goddamn much... I can quote a lot of it as we're going through, and I'm probably going to quote stuff as it's playing once again, because after the fourth time watching the same fucking scene, I do the exact same thing. Uh, and you'll know where it is, because it's a little bit towards the, the beginning, and it's towards the middle, and then it's towards the end. Um, I tried to make everything as relevant as possible, uh, but it's rough as it gets to the end of the movie it's another one of those where there's so much action and stuff going on that it's like, oh, here's some dialogue. I could use this, and it's like two seconds of dialogue. Now, I did include one just because I want to show like how cheesy it gets towards the end of the movie, and it's one of my favorite dumb lines in the whole fucking movie, so... Um, I remember just dying fucking laughing when it happened, so we'll, we'll do that. Um, but for the most part... I think that uh, we should be able to get through movie just fine. Just know that there are some parts where, like, there's some really fucking long pauses. And you don't realize it while watching it because you're really, like, engrossed in it. And it's the way that it's done. And there's a lot of Bruceisms in terms of his mannerisms that's keeping you entertained. But when you're listening to it, it really doesn't work. <laughs> so... I had to cut out, like, sections where there was, like, 10 seconds of silence and try to make it match up. So, if there's a little jump, um, it was kind of the best jumping point, like, before raising the volume that I got. So, I, I guess I have a lot of excuses on this episode. <laughs> uh, I'm not really trying to excuse myself, but you know how it works. This is what I've got. This is what I'm dealing with. So, 
Um, why don't we just jump into the movie right away and let's find out what actually has happened with Ash since we finished Evil Dead 2. My name is Ash, and I am a slave. Close as I can figure it, the year is 1300 AD, and I'm being dragged to my death. It wasn't always like this. I had a real life once. A job. Um, hardware, aisle 12. Shop smart, shop S smart. <laughs> I had a wonderful girlfriend, Linda. Together we drove to a small cabin in the mountains. It seems an archaeologist had come to this remote place to translate and study his latest find. Necronomicon Ex Mortis, the Book of the Dead. Found in human flesh and inked in blood, this ancient Sumerian text contained bizarre burial rites, funerary incantations, and demon resurrection passages. It was never meant for the world of the living. The book awoke something dark in the woods. It took Linda. And then it came for me. It got into my hand and it went bad. So I lopped it off at the wrist. But that didn't stop it. It came back. Big time. So there's a nice little recap that we have for the last film. But again, like I said, they did retcon a couple of little things here or give you a little more information on what was going on. So we see Ash and his girlfriend, Linda, right? And in the second one, I can definitely give you the fact that, hey, it's probably, you know, because uh, you, you don't know the, where they were because they just went to the damn cabin, right? They just went to the cabin in the woods and they were going off on like a little vacation type thing or whatever it is. And that's what you don't know anything about their like past. No backstory stuff. No backsies, right? And then you go with, uh, if you go to the first one, they're all college students, right? And that's where they're going away for the weekend and everything's fine because everybody's working for the weekend to make sure that they get away. And instead, they're all going, you know, to a fucking cabin in the woods. So there's the differences between the two and that's a little of the retcon. Also, you lose the two friends between Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2. So here with this one, it's like he talks about his past and that he used to work for S-Mart, okay? Like, he was an employee there and Linda worked with him. That's how he got connected to her, okay? It wasn't college, it wasn't anything like that. He worked at the store, she worked at the store, then they went back. 
So that's something kind of important to think about when you move forward. Um, and then there is, it's really funny because they show those sequences again of him being like pulled into the, you know, the portal and everything like that. Also, I think the white piece of hair is kind of gone. Like, you remember at the end of Evil Dead 2, like, he looks at the evil and part of his hair turns white as he gets pulled into the past. Well, now it's perfectly black and everything's perfectly fine, so I guess we retconned the hair too, goddammit. I kind of like the little, like, white streak that happened there. I mean, it looked kind of cool. Made Bruce Campbell have this, like, debonair type of look and smile and everything. Well, he already fucking has that. He's got a fucking chin for days, man. Okay? Uh, that guy could, like, beat you to death with his chin. That's just the way things go over there in Campbellland. So, you you have... It, when he flies through, you can see the wire that he's flying on. Is really what I'm trying to get to. For at least a split second. And then he drops into the world of the Middle Ages. And this is where things have also changed as well. Because when he dropped down at the end of Evil Dead 2, you know, he was attacked by the flying monster in the sky. He shot it down. And then everybody cheered and was like, all hail. And he was like, no, 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 no. I can't believe that this is, like, where I am. And it's a part of the book. And he realized that the book was actually foretelling what he was going to be doing later on. Well, there is a little bit of that. But you see in this version, he doesn't necessarily get the warm welcome that he got at the end of Evil Dead 2. Where the hell? Easy now, Chief. Uh, I don't know how I got here, and uh, 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 I'm not looking for any trouble. Why is much? My lord, I believe he is the one written of in the Necronomicon. He who's prophesied to fall from the heavens and deliver us from the terrors of the deadites. What? That buffoon? Likely. He's one of Henry's men! I say to the pit with him! Okay, so there's a bunch of things wrong that are, like, going on here. At least that I can kind of tell based upon what has happened previously. This dude falls from the sky. Okay, he falls down and crashes. There is a motherfucking car over there that has also fallen to the ground. And is just there. And he says it's his. And you guys are like, what the fuck is this? Does Lord Henry have that fucking bullshit? Like, the wise man comes by and he's like, dude, man, I think this is, like, the savior that we expected to come down from the fall, like, from the sky and everything like that. That's what happened. The dude, Arthur's like, no, fuck you. He's one of fucking Henry's men who we fucking captured, who are all wearing the same fucking outfit, by the way. They're all dressed in, like, this red fucking garb. They look like fucking Scots, and they also talk like fucking Scots. Like, he... Is he has a fucking chainsaw on his hand? You do not know what that is. 
How many of, of Henry's men's did you fight had some weird thing on his fucking hand? And he's got a fucking gun on his back. You guys don't even know what the fuck that thing is. Like, you, they disarm him. And did you see any of Henry's men with this fucking type of weaponry on him? Dropping from the motherfucking sky? No! And automatically you're like, oh, must be Henry's men. Oh, what are you going to do? Well, we're just going to fucking throw him in the pit. What the fuck is the pit? Okay, maybe I can't blame him for that. But honestly... It's fucking stupid. Like, how are you automatically going to assume that this guy... Now, I would say, if he went and was like, Oh, he must be a deadite because I don't recognize anything. He's got these weird, like, straps of armor. Well, he's only wearing, like, really, like, leather armor. And it's kind of, like, broken apart. And that doesn't really offer any protection. But, you know, when you're a berserker and you want to go in guns blazing with your fucking bastard sword of... You know, lightning-grabbing, crotch-shooting motherfuckers. Uh, you really need to wear anything as light as fucking possible. But really, you should be wearing heavy armor instead, right? Because you don't want to take any damages from that beholder when it comes and gets it. Okay, that's a little bit too much. But nonetheless, like, he is not dressed like any of the other men. Like, he has no armor on. So, if you're like, this guy's weird, he came from the sky, he did this, then it's more or less like, hey, uh, maybe he's just some weird evil dude. How about that? That would have been okay. But the fact that he automatically associates him with, like, Henry's men makes really no fucking sense to me. So, they basically put him in stocks and have him walk along with Henry's men all the way back into the town. Now, you can tell there's a little bit of spat in between the two of them, uh, and they have managed to actually capture Henry, which is pretty amazing. If he's like the leader of whatever that area is, and you capture the leader, you would think that you would just be able to, I don't know, take over their whole land? Like, you're victorious, and you don't need to do anything with him. Instead, you're going to drag him back to your pit, and especially if he's the leader, unless you don't realize that that's fucking Henry that you've got over there, which I'm pretty sure that you do, but you would think that there would be a giant fucking army that would be chasing these guys at the same time, or that they wiped out the whole fucking army, you know, and only captured these five or six people. I don't know. It's weird. I wish there was a little more information on this. But nonetheless, they come back, and that's where we get to meet our heroine, well, nah. I, I, I don't like this character. <laughs> I don't like what she necessarily represents. I get it. She becomes a succubus later. Everything's cool. But honestly, she's just like woman meat for Ash. Um, for the most part. There, there is nothing that's go. Anyway, let's, let's, let's listen to her talk to Lord Arthur. Lord Arthur, where is my brother? Did he not ride with you? Aye, and fought valiantly. But last night he fell in battle to Duke Henry's men. I'm sorry, she. Come on. You Oh, 
Okay, so Sheila here. Sheila is completely fucking useless. I, I just don't, like I said before, I don't really like her character, right? The only thing that she's kind of doing here is that, like, she's kind of, you know, her brother was involved in the war, and she's a little upset, so Ash has to get the brunt of all of her anger by being spit on and being crap thrown on him as he's being, like, blocked in these stockades and everything like that. But all she's really here in this movie is, one, to, like I said, turn into a succubus and be an object of affection for Ash, which really goes nowhere for the rest of the fucking movie. Like, it's just ridiculous, to be honest with you. Like, you could just get rid of this character completely, because even if she, like, if she just left, like, or went with him, like, look, you know, we could go into the future, you know, at the end of the movie, I'm saying, and be together, and that's fine. Okay, he found love, and he brought her into the future, and then, ooh, wackiness is gonna ensue in Army of Darkness 2, Electric Blue when she's trying to figure out what the hell is going on in the modern world because she's a medieval woman. Or even if they say something along the lines of, well, you know what, uh, we're from two different worlds, I really need to go back to mine. But they never say that in this fucking movie. I know I'm jumping way ahead at this time, but it just kind of pisses me off that they have to insert this type of character into this film. And there just isn't any type of character development for this person. And it really, ugh, I just want to scream out at the damn movie and at Sam Raby and his brother for like writing this character in and maybe there was more that we just don't get that's a big possibility but I really wish that we did have a little bit extra on this character so from here we see them they're basically brought to the edge of the pit and that's when they figure out what's going to happen and Ash actually finds out a little more information on Henry the Red, and I will tell you here is one of the lines that I know that I will be quoting, like, while it's playing. You, sir, are not one of my vassals. Who are you? Who wants to know? I am Henry the Red, Duke of Shale, Lord of the Northlands and leader of its peoples. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. And Jack left town. Shut your please, no! There is an evil awakened in this land. And while my people fight for their very souls against it, you, Henry the Red, wage war on us. It was you who first turned your swords on us. And this evil has befouled my people as well. Your people are no better than the foul corruption that lies in the bowels of that pit. Right, you're no better. May God have mercy upon your souls. Okay, so Arthur is a motherfucking dick, man. 
I don't know how much I can take of this character in this movie. Like, it seems like the people that are technically, like, I don't want to say they're the good guys, because nobody is fucking good in this movie. Actually, the only person that really is fucking good is Henry over here. He's actually not a bad guy. He's the one that actually talks with Ash, explains that, hey, you know, uh, I, I want to know more about you, who you are. I know you're not a part of my man, you know. He just seems like he's okay. Okay, he's a captive. I get it. I understand that. But at the same time, he just seems to be like more understanding of what's going on. Arthur, like on the other hand, has some type of like, I don't know, like king boner or some type of bullshit like on him. Like righteous boner. I think that's what he fucking has. He has a righteous boner. Like he's just so sure that he's in the right that... The evil things are really caused by Henry and that, you know, hey, the only way to do it is to throw him in a pit where there's a fucking deadite in it. How the fuck do you have a deadite underneath your goddamn castle? That makes no fucking sense. And you're calling Henry the one that's in fucking league with them, but you have one underneath your fu- What do you do? You fucking feed it. That's right. You take one of his men and you throw him in the pit. And you actually get probably the scene that really kind of got me going in this movie when I was watching it when I was younger. Where, like, they're waiting at the edge of the pit and then the giant fucking fountain of blood just comes up. So you're feeding the motherfucker down there. And you know what they say, once you feed one of those motherfuckers, they stay with you. And it's your fucking pet. So if there's anybody that is in league with the goddamn deadites, it's you, motherfucker! Don't look at Henry! You know, oh, they're plaguing my land. They're plaguing your land because you fucking fed them. And they're going to stay there with you. It's not because, you know, Henry is unleashing them upon you. They both have this misconception that somebody has started the war between them. And it probably was the goddamn Deadites. But once you realize that, look, it's, you know, this army of darkness is provoking me to provoke you over here with their army of darkness... And couldn't we just come together and hug and be happy and be a nation together? Because Henry doesn't honestly seem like a bad guy. So, once they've thrown the poor dude down in the pit, and he's exploded into a giant fountain of very bright red blood, by the way, uh, one of Henry's men tries to escape, and so Arthur gets his bow and arrow and fires a an arrow. And I believe he calls for the... Uh, bow boy or the archer boy or something like that and then he fires the arrow and it does the Sam Raimi like tracking shot until it hits him in the back and it's really ridiculous and stupid but funny at the same time the way that he moves because (laughs) it's like kind of sped up like in in terms of the way the film is, so it's like he's like, "Oh, I'm going to get away," and it just looks really funny. And they get shot in the back, and he's dead. And so that's when, of course, Ash starts to protest uh, that, "Hey, guess what? You've got the wrong guy." But before we do that, I forgot to say the 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 lines. The my favorite part of that whole thing is the beginning, where. <laughs> I still laugh at it. Aren't you Mr. Fancy Pants? Um, That's the line that I can quote 
all the goddamn time and will always keep with me. More than some of the other stuff that's inside this movie. I know Groovy makes it into my vernacular a lot, but that is something that uh, from this movie that I'll quote till the end of time. Anyway, so Ash doesn't want to be thrown into the pit. And uh, yeah, they got the wrong guy. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Oh, wait, wait a minute. You, you gotta understand, man. I, I, I never even saw these assholes before. Henry, you gotta tell him you don't know me. We never met. Tell him. I did not think he'll listen, lad. Look, I'm telling you, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. So Ash is thrown into the pit, and he then has to fight for his life. Uh, Well, first he falls into the water, and when he falls into the water, all of a sudden, you know, this lady pops out. It's the same, like, witch lady, it seems, that's been used in a couple of the films. Like, she definitely gets a reuse here later in the movie. And also, she gets, uh, I think it kind of looks like the mother of Linda from the you know, the first film. And it's just pretty ridiculous. Basically, the Deadeye comes out and they basically fight. She beats the crap out of him. He beats the crap out of her. Until finally, the wise man comes by and realizes that he needs help and throws down his chainsaw. And you get that awkwardly kind of cringy moment, especially with nowadays stuff. Maybe that's what it is. Nowadays, it seems kind of cheesy, like really cheesy. But he jumps up and the chainsaw locks directly into his missing hand part. And now he's got the chainsaw, but he's missing the little thing that they built for him on his clothes where he's able to put the like the the rope of the chainsaw, the starter rope and pull it without having to use the other hand. Like that's gone out of his outfit. So but he's able to start the chainsaw right away very easily and then goes after her and ends up cutting off the poor Didite's head. Um he does try to look for a way out. At some point, as he's winning, they decide to start closing the spikes in on him. And he's able to get away by latching his belt on a rope. Uh, well, on the chain, I guess you could say, as the spikes are closing. But then, like, a troll type of Deadite busts from the wall and starts trying to grab after him. Holds onto his legs. There is a joke, too, with... Like him cutting off the hand of one of the Deadites and then it going up. One of the ladies, like, that was yelling about him, like, yeah, throw him in the pit. Like, one of the old ladies. Not Sheila, who hit him in the, in the head with a fucking rock. Like, that's a bitch move to do. Uh, but anyway, the, the hand goes and goes over the old lady's net mouth that talked shit about Ash earlier in a kind of like, okay, haha, I get it type of thing. Um, but he does manage to finally get out of there. The the spikes close on the deadite, and he comes up out of the pit, and he's pretty fucking pissed off. Get all your shoelaces untied. Yeah! 
Who wants some? Who's next? Huh? How about it? Who wants some? Huh? Who wants to have a little? You. You want some more? Huh? You want a little? Do you? Do you want some more? Huh? Huh? Get on those horses and get out of here. Let him go. <laughs> so, this is probably Bruce Campbell at some of his best. Like, this is the reason to watch this film. If you're going to watch any of them, it's specifically because of him. This scene alone makes me just, even just hearing the scene makes me fucking laugh. Because his, like, mannerisms and what he's doing, and I get it. And and I do believe that this is kind of a film that you need to see as well. And at the end of the last podcast, uh, you know, I said make sure that you see it before because there's a lot more, like, slapstick in this. Uh, But just when he goes, who wants some? Who wants next? Huh? Like, he's holding his hand to his ear like he's fucking Hulk Hogan or some shit. But just the way that he does it is so goddamn funny. And it's this weird... It's not funny because... Just because it's like Bruce Campbell, right? Bruce Campbell, I think, in general, has great timing. And he's a good mix of, like, being able to act machismo at the same time being, like, comedic about it. And that's maybe why I really like the character of Ash. Because there's some type of, like oafish buffoonery machismo that's there that makes the character endearing like you you know that he's not always um it's not always serious you're not meant to take that stuff serious that it ends up like backfiring on him because he you know he believes that he's in the right way but he's able to get out of any situation that he needs to at the same time he's kind of a bumbling idiot like about certain things and it he embodies this character so well that it's what makes everything so entertaining. Uh, so he, you know, comes out that stupid line where he's like, your shoelaces are untied. How does that work? He doesn't have shoes. He doesn't have shoelaces. He's wearing fucking armor. But of course, you know, it's probably something to do with the times. He's like, what the fuck is he talking about? Untied. And then he gets fucking socked in the face and Arthur goes down. And then that laugh by King Henry at the end, it kills me every time, too, because he just looks over and he starts laughing. And then he grabs a guy and he just laughs in his fucking face. And it's fucking great because he knows that, oh my god, I'm getting away and you guys, you you thought you had me, but you don't. But it's kind of realized that everything was just like a witch hunt that was going on and nobody was listening to anybody and that really he was in the right. And so, after King Henry's men have basically fled, that's when King Arthur, he decides that he wants to get his sword boy and teach Ash a lesson, and 
Ash ends up actually teaching everybody there a little bit about his boomstick. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, generous host! <laughs> boy! For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. Yeah. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. It's a 12 gauge double barreled Remington. S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right. Shop smart. Shop S-mart. You got that? Now I swear. The next one of you primates even touches me. And that's when one of the Diddites, well, the one that was in the pit before that got supposedly crushed by the spikes, but maybe there was more of them, I don't know. He tries to get out of the pit, and Ash fires a couple of like rounds into him, and he does this nice like pirouette backflip into the pit. And everybody cheers and realizes that maybe he didn't really do anything. It's kind of ridiculous because it seems like they once again retcon something where it's really silly, it's the fucking shotgun, right? The shotgun, he turned into a sawed-off shotgun with the daughter of the archaeologist that found the goddamn Book of the Dead in his time. It's not a fucking S-Mart special. It's just a random fucking shotgun. But I get what they're kind of trying to do. I'm not saying that it's, like, it's keeping it within the story. But at the same time, like, I just wish that... Little things like that, maybe I'm being a little too nitpicky here, but it would have been nice if there was a little bit of consistency. Now, I know what you're probably saying to me. Well, he worked at S-Mart, they've now established that, and maybe they had a similar type of shotgun that's there. Yeah, I get that, but what it does feel like to me is like he knew so much about it because it was his, because that's where he got it, right? It's not necessarily because... Uh, it's just a shotgun and he has that. And the fact that he made it a sawed-off shotgun too, that's something that they don't really go into here. They don't necessarily need to, but uh, I just feel like it's kind of weird that to get the scene that you want, you're going to rewrite something else. But nonetheless, it's still, I think, a relatively funny scene, especially when King Arthur gets his sword boy pulls the sword from him, kicks the poor kid away, and then when he goes to attack, Ash blows off, like, the top of the sword, and it's obvious that the guy's gonna have nowhere else to go, he's not gonna be able to fight Ash at all. Plus, it's also gonna be sword versus chainsaw, and I'm pretty sure that the chainsaw's probably going to win, unless he runs out of gas. Who knows? Uh, you know, it's the past, and, uh, you know, what? Are, what is he going to do? Make his own fucking shit? Turn into a steam-powered chainsaw? I'd like to see that fucking happen. So, 
we go, you know, now that he has been accepted by them and they realize that everything, you know, they were wrong in what they did. We see that Ash is kind of living a little bit of the life of luxury. At least he's being treated well. And they explain to him how exactly he needs to get back to his own time. And what he's going to need to do it. I pray thee to forgive me, my lord. I believe thee one of Henry's men. First you want to kill me. Now you want to kiss me. Blow. So what's the deal? Can you send me back or not? Only the Necronomicon has the power. An unholy book which we also require. Within its pages are passages that can send you back to your time. Only you, the promised one, can quest for it. I don't want your book. I don't want your bullshit. Just send me back to my own time. Pronto, today. So basically, this is where the other part where they kind of reuse the person in the makeup. Uh, basically, now the Deadeye is back and it starts to attack everybody in the room to the point that Ash gets his gun and then he lays a couple of rounds of shells into her. Um, that, for a sawed-off shotgun, you know, he does have a lot of fucking shots in that gun. It's kind of ridiculous. I rarely see him load that bullshit, but whatever. You know, again, it's a fucking movie. I get it. It's just sometimes fucking annoying. So now that they know that the only way for him to get back is to get the Necronom Ixnordis back, uh, he decides, especially after being attacked by that Deadite there, that he's going to go and make the quest to go ahead and get the copy of the book. Uh, and what does he need to do that? Well, he needs a montage. What type of montage? Uh, he needs an arm or hand-making montage. That's right, he's going to replace his lost hand with a very complex mechanical gauntlet that he's going to be able to control with his nerves just like you would if... How the fuck is he working at an S-Mart? Like, this makes no sense. This is one of those things in the movie where it's cool, I love the sequence, but it's really, like, when did Ash know how to do this? We have no knowledge of anything. We knew in the first one he was a student. I get it. He has his classes, he has whatever it is. In the second one, we don't really know him and his girlfriend out there. Okay, maybe he's still a student. They don't necessarily say that per se maybe they do and i'm just forgetting which was weird because last week i did the other episode but in this one they're obviously saying that he works at smart now are they saying because he works there he just studies everything and he's able to create these fantastical like devices and everything uh, but later on we also do learn that he's got shit in his trunk so it seems like it's ridiculous like right that he's able to create this hand 
out of basically nothing there. All of these different... And he gets a medieval blacksmith to help him do what he needs to do. And he has a screwdriver. Where the fuck did he get that? Because I don't fucking know. Like, he randomly just has it in the next scene as we start the next scene. It makes no fucking sense. Like, how was he able to build this, like intensely well-working piece of medical marvel machinery out of just a fucking gauntlet. How did he do it? I don't get it. But he does make himself a hand, so that way Ash is not like left without or having to carry around that chainsaw, which I should give props because it's not really a fucking foam one like it was last time. Uh, it's pretty much, at least the, the quality is a lot better than it was before, so... He doesn't have to carry that with him as a weapon on his hand. He now can just carry it along with him, I guess, as just a weapon instead of bringing a sword or an axe or whatever it is. So, after he's created himself a new hand, he's busy trying to fine-tune things, and that's when he's approached by Sheila, and it leads to some weird type of sex scene. The wise men say that thou art the promised one. Tis said that thou wilt journey for the book to help us, and that thou wilt lead our people against the evil. The only reason I'm going to get the book is to get home. I believe that thou wilt be leaving in the morning. Don't touch that, please. Your primitive intellect wouldn't understand alloys and compositions and things with molecular structures in the... What are you doing here, anyway? I want you to say that all of my, all of my hopes and prayers go with thee, and, and I made this for thee. Good, I could use a horse blanket. some sugar baby so this is where i believe sheila is so goddamn ridiculous with this whole thing because first she mistakes ash for being like the killer of her brother and being a part of henry's men because there's a stupid war that's going on that really neither side should be fighting and there's lives lost where people are just being fucking idiots Sounds very familiar with everything that goes on whenever we do one of these things. But it's just so ridiculous and she blames Ash and Henry's men for the whole thing, right? Then she's like, oh, I'm so forgiving. I'm so sorry. Like she's there and Yumi says, you know, first you want to kill me, then you want to kiss me. You know, it's one of those things. And now she comes over and she's like, oh, you may be the person that we need to be our savior and you're going to free us from the deadites. And he's like, I don't really want any of this bullshit. Like, whatever. I just want to go back home. And really, that's ultimately what Ash wants to do throughout the whole fucking film. He just wants to get back to his fucking time and just be done with it. Then they throw in this, like, weird love thing. Like, all of a sudden, they're attracted to each other. So then they're going to have sex with each other. And that's the way it's going to fucking be. It makes just... 
it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It's terrible. I feel like character progression, like, there's nothing that is redeeming about her character in any type of arc, like, throughout this goddamn movie. And it's really fucking annoying. So, the next morning after he's had his put-ins over there with Sheila, he prepares to go and the wise one explains to him that when he grabs the book, he needs to make sure he says a specific set of words. What? What is it? This path will lead you to an unholy place. A cemetery. There the Necronomicon awaits. When thou retrievest the book from its cradle, you must recite the words, Klatu Verata Nictu. Klatu Verata Nictu, okay. Well, repeat them. Klatu Verata Nictu. Again! I got it, I got it! I know your damn words, all right? Now you get this straight, the both of you. If I get that book, you send me back. After that, I'm history. So, in case you don't know where exactly those words come from, because it's a very famous phrase, it actually comes from the day the Earth stood still. No, not that version with Keanu Reeves, though that version probably should end up on this podcast at some time. No, I'm talking about the original version, not that remake with Keanu Reeves, even though that probably should end up on the podcast someday. It's when Klaatu actually gives Helen the phrase, and it's basically... Uh, she must say it to the robot, Gort. In response, Gort relents from destroying the Earth and resurrects uh, Klaatu from death when it happens. So, you kind of see like the little bit of uh, mix there because it's the Book of the Dead. You know, it was used to resurrect Klaatu uh, and it's just kind of an homage to that film. And of course, you know, knowing the way that Ash is, something's probably going to go wrong. So from here, we start seeing him travel through the forest as he goes along on his quest to reach the graveyard to get the Necronomicon. And while he's there, he gets chased finally by the Sam Raimi camera. So the dead come, they start swarming after him, and it's amazing how, one, his horse is able to... Well, I guess I, with the horse, I can understand. Like, running through the forest, the thing has to crash through trees, and every time you hit one of those trees, of course, that's going to slow you down as you're going through in the horse. But it's got to, like, duck, dodge, weave, dive, dip, all that stuff uh, to get to the point that it needs to get to. And then, uh, but he ends up falling off the horse, and he's still able to outrun the evil Till the point he gets to a windmill in the distance, and the evil starts slamming itself against the door, and that door is really ridiculously strong, because even with, like, the little brace there and ash, like, the evil doesn't have enough to ba- just bash down the door, or break in another part. Why is it constantly going after the door? There's a couple windows there. It could have gone from the top, but once everything stops, Ash thinks that he's okay, until all of a sudden, night starts to fall. So he leaves, I get it, travel, I understand, but it seems like in film time, it seems like just a second ago it was day and all of a sudden now it's turning into night. Like this is fucking Simon's Quest and it's a horrible night to have a fucking curse. So everything changes, he sees a mirror in the distance 
and he runs into the mirror for some reason. Like, I, I never really got this scene. Other than to lead you to the next scene. Like, he looks over and he sees the mirror. And it's like he sees a ghost or an image or something. But it's just him. Like, standing there in the mirror. And to the point that he runs into it. And he, like, crashes the mirror everywhere. Shards are everywhere. He looks. Everything seems to be okay. But then all of a sudden, all these mini versions of ashes pop out of the mirrors, and we get probably more of one of the like more cartoony scenes in the movie with all the little mini ashes running around. They're all creating little like they're doing all these little things to him. Like it's so ridiculous. He's trying to chase him around, trying to either get away from him, chase him down. It's it's a little bit ridiculous. Like, it's fun in that it looks like Bruce Campbell's having a lot of fun playing all the mini versions of himself. And it's like, it seems like he's having fun, like, going after all of them. Like, you can tell that he's really just fed up with this shit. Like, that's maybe that's one of the things I really like about Ash. It seems like all the time, whenever he gets into something, he's just fucking done with it. He's just like, I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. I'm sick and tired of all these motherfucking deadites in my motherfucking face. And here I am. I'm going to go and just fucking deal with it. I just want to get back to normalcy. That's all I fucking want. I want to go back home. I want to be back in my life. I don't want to deal with any more of this bullshit. Let's just get this along. And that's the way that he kind of treats this stuff with all the little mini ashes running around. Well, eventually after like hitting his head on things and running into stuff and slipping and falling, he eventually does throw one of them in the fire. And then he gets up and he goes to stomp one of them down, but then, oh, something happens. London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling. Okay, it's a nail in the goddamn foot. And luckily, this is not like Evil Dead of 2013. It just kind of goes off to the side. You don't see it go through. But nonetheless, goddamn, my foot is already fucking hurting. And there was something else I watched recently. There was like another fucking nail in the foot. This seems to be like, oh, it was the being. The being has a fucking nail in the foot scene, which is terrible. And that's not even because, oh, I don't want to get into it, but... Let me just say, it's not because something does it. He just accidentally steps into it. Like, why do you need to add the fucking nail in the fucking foot scene? And so here, the little guy, little Ash, picks up the nail and he steps on it. He's not able to kill him. And so he knocks him back and he falls down onto the ground and he totally blacks out. And they fucking Gilgan Island his ass. Like, they strap him down with a bunch of rope. He can't get up. And meanwhile, there's some above him and basically... He dives towards his mouth, does a couple of nice little flips. I'd give him like a 7 out of 10 in terms of his form. And then you have the little ashes on the bottom uh, close the big ash's nose so that he opens his mouth and it goes right inside of him. He breaks up everything. He manages to get up at that point for some reason. I guess when you're like choking on a little bit of yourself, I guess you're, you know, you have more power to get up and the adrenaline is going. And he tries to like kind of he tries to get him out by throwing it up and he's not able to do that and it's causing a little bit of uh upsetness in his stomach so what does he do he goes and grabs and i don't know where this came from when did he put on the boiling pot of water or the water on for tea because there's a teapot that's on top of a stove that's over there 
that has a ton of boiling water and he's going to pour the boiling water down his throat. And that's just not a way to like deal with it. Okay. I get it. He says, how about some hot lava? (laughs) But you're going to hurt yourself awfully bad just to kill the fucking thing that's inside of you. And I doubt that it works that way. I doubt that it works if you pour hot water down your throat that whatever is in there, it's already going to be dissolved by your stomach juices, right? Like, it's already starting to work with the acids inside and eventually he's going to come out as poop. That's it. So this guy, Little Ash, is going inside and he's deciding, you know what? I want to become a fucking turd. That's what I want to do. I want to mess up your insides for a little bit. I know I'm going to dissolve, but eventually I'm going to become fucking poo and then I'm going to fucking haunt you afterwards. I'm going to make sure it fucking hurts coming out. I'm going to stab every fucking inch of your intestines. I'm going to make sure that your colon is on fucking fire. I'm going to be like the hottest fucking jalapeno that you've ever fucking had in your life. I'm going to be a ghost pepper. In fact, I'm going to be one of those like Carolina Reaper peppers coming out. It's going to be and then I'm going to be like hot liquid lava at the same time. So that way that it just sticks to everything. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Actually, you know what? That's pretty evil, little dude. Like, I give you props. You know, you're going to kill yourself, but you're going to come back as evil shit. Hey, it works. So, for some reason, that does kind of work. You hear him go, I'm melting, I'm melting. What a world, what a world. And then all of a sudden, Ash gets a scratch on his shoulder and probably one of the coolest visual effects that they've got. And you see that there's an eyeball on the top of his shoulder that's now looking around. And he starts freaking out because slowly but surely, uh, it starts becoming another Ash. And then you go from really cool effect like the eyeball to a really shitty effect <laughs> in practical makeup of the guy on his shoulder. It looks terrible. Absolutely terrible. Like, they go outside, and they're howling at the moon, and and it looks so goddamn fake. Like, it does not fucking hold up at all. Like, period. So eventually, as this terrible fucking, like, practical effect, it, it slowly gets better and better as they start to separate and eventually, and there's a really cool little bit of, like, stop motion that's done where they're running across, like, the landscape, like, on the ground, like, doing, like, the crab walk with each other that I really liked as they're, like, both trying to beat each other up at the same time. But eventually they do break off, and then we get to meet for the very first time, Bad Ash. Hey! Hey! What's the big what's idea taking by? Why, you? Oh! Oh! <laughs> I'm blind! I'm blind! Where are you taking me? Oh! Oh! What are you? Are you me? What are you? Are you me? <laughs> you sound like a jerk. Why are you doing this? Oh, you want to know? Because the answer's easy. I'm bad, Ash. And you're good, Ash. You're goody little two-shoes. You're goody little two-shoes. Goody little two-shoes. 
So this is one of those weird situations where they've changed the dialogue in the bootleg cut. And I really do like the theatrical versions of the dialogue instead in this scene. And when he actually shoots Bad Ash with a shotgun, he goes, good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun. Like, I just, I love that so much more than this. I'm not all that good. Like, why would you change it? Like, the other line was so much better than what you got here. I, I don't understand it, but you know what? This is the version that I'm watching uh, for this episode of the podcast. So, the the one thing to notice about Badash is that he's not a complete, like, clone copy of him. He has both of his hands perfectly fine. Like, he doesn't have a mechanical hand on the other hand. He's got regular fucking hands. The other thing, it really looks like Bruce Campbell is having a ton of of fun doing this specific role just the way that he's able to mock the character the way that he's able to mock himself it's fantastic i just absolutely love the way that the character is done is it cheesy yeah it's beyond fucking cheesy okay i get it it's a little more hackneyed than it needs to be it's a little more slapsticky than it needs to be but that's just the way that this rolls and i really do enjoy the way that campbell plays that role of bad ash so, what does he decide to do with Badash? Well, there's only one way to get rid of a Diddite, and that is to strap him to a table and recreate the scenes from all three movies. So, there's one scene that is in all three, which is the table scene, where they you know latch the person down to the table with the chains, and then he ends up brings up the chainsaw and cuts her down. And this time, he's just cutting Badash all up. So he cuts up Ash, and then he goes to uh, <laughs> put him in the ground. And this is the other scene that I fucking I love this fucking line. Uh, and that's the scene with uh, him burying him and the dirt on the face. Now you see what's what. <clears throat> A man's body is his own personal property. <sighs> Don't let anybody try and take that away from him. That'll teach you. Yeah, that'll teach you. You shall never retrieve the Necronomicon. You'll die in the graveyard before you get it. Hey, uh, what's that you got on your face? Huh? See how that works? I'll come back for you. That, that shit still makes me laugh like so much i started laughing like with the clip uh fucking hit on uh at that point and it just it still makes me roll just because of the reaction to when it hits him he's like but <laughs> it's fucking it's fucking fantastic i don't care what anybody says um so now that he's buried bad ash and he does put the stake into the ground 
Uh, he goes and finally finds the graveyard. And the graveyard is honestly a decent done set. Maybe that's one of the things that's also kind of cheesy about this, is that there's some really great, like, open pieces. But for the most part, like, unless you're in the castle, like, the other sets don't feel as good as the sets from the original, the first two Evil Deads. Like, even between Evil Dead 2 and Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead is definitely, I think, the best set because they literally went out to a rickety old cabin out in the middle of nowhere to film everything, where the second felt more like it was on a studio. Even though it was kind of had an independent feel to it, it really did feel like it was on a back lot. And here, when you're in the forest areas, it kind of feels like that, like they just went to a random, like, wooded area. And then, but I like the way the castle area feels. Like, I feel like that feels like a real set piece place. Doesn't necessarily feel like a set at all times, but it also isn't, like, that grandiose. Like, you spend a lot of money on something, but sets and set design weren't necessarily it, in my opinion. So you have all the creepy crawly, all the things that are around there, all the different statues and stuff. And then he comes up to where the Necronomicon is, but wait... There's more than one book? Three books. Wait a minute. Hold it. Nobody said anything about three books. Oh, that stinking wise man. He was so busy filling me full of his secret little words and his phrases and his bullshit that he never said anything about this. Like, like what am I supposed to do? Take, take one book or all books or, or what? So there's a couple of things in this scene that I don't necessarily, I say odd, but I don't really mean odd, but they feel like they don't work as well, at least in the terms of the way that everything has been like set up in the story. So if he's going to try to grab any of these books, he needs to say the words, right? And maybe that's why the other books kind of react the way they are, but he doesn't really have to say anything when he grabs the wrong books. It, it To me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, I really wish that he had realized, hey, you know what, I've got to say the words every single fucking time, and if ultimately, you know, he fucks up, I'm sorry if I'm going to ruin that for you right now before I play the clip where he fucks up, but if ultimately he's going to fuck up, maybe that's why the two that he grabs are completely wrong, and then on the third try, he just is able to grab it just fine. So, it's really weird that he goes through these two, and then when he's going to grab the real one, it's like, oh shit, I totally need to say the words now. But you were just going to grab them anyway. It doesn't make any sense. So he grabs the first book, and then there's a giant fucking portal. Well, before he even gets to the book, the book opens, and there's a portal trying to suck him in, and he's able to suck himself in. There's some good effects and makeup on this, with his arms extending and his face getting really, really long. And then... He does the whole, like, like changing his face type thing, where it goes in different shapes, and of course, one of them is Ronald Reagan, and for a lot of people, maybe don't know, you know, what that looks like, you probably do, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what Reagan looks like, right? But he does that, and then he finally gets back to normal, and he's just like, ugh. Then he goes up to the second book, and he's got the book on the top and the book in the middle, and he goes for the book in the middle, and he's like, wait, no, that's not the one. We're going to go to the top. And he's like, wait, ah, I bet you they're tricking me. It's not the one that's being shined on by the fucking light. I mean, come on. The other two are almost complete darkness, and the one that's obviously the book has a big beam of light on it to show you which way it's going to go. You know what, I might have thought the way that he thought, and maybe that's not the way that you want to pick the one. So then, 
we go and he picks the the second book, which turns out to be like a bat book. Like it bites his hand, it flies around, hits him a couple times, and then it ends up going back onto the table. Uh, and he's like, "You, I'm going to come back for you. And then he goes to grab the last book, and that's, like I said, when he remembers that he needs to speak the words before he can even grab the book, even though he just tried to grab the other two books without saying a fucking word. Ooh, wait a minute. The words. Right, right, right. Say the words. <clears throat> Klaatu! Barata! Mm. Necktie, nectar, nickel. Noodle. It's an N word. It's definitely an N word. It's definitely an N word. Klaatu, Mirada. That's it. So that's when the graveyard starts fighting back against him. Back at the town, we or the castle, I should say, we see that the wise men notice that something's going awfully wrong here. And when we cut back, we see that Ash is now being under attack by the army of the dead. Like, the skeleton hands are just popping out of everywhere. They're punching him in the fucking groin. You don't punch people with skeleton hands, man. You don't do that to people's dicks. And then he is also getting a skeleton hand in the mouth to where he throws up. That's probably the one that bothers me the most out of everything. It's just because he's got a... And, like, I have a hard time. I'm almost... What's that? A hemetophobe or whatever it is that people don't like watching people vomit. I'm almost in that category. Like, I can deal with it, but I, I just don't like to see that very often. But he sees that. But a good old dick punch uh, has him actually remove that from his mouth. And then he does get a little revenge on them where he starts breaking all the different hands. Huh? You gonna take that? Huh? And then he manages to get away from the graveyard and all he wants to do is still go back to his time. But what he doesn't know is that he's caused the army of the dead to arise as well as his evil clone. I'm through being their garbage boy. I did my part. Now I want back. Like in the deal. Yeah! So now we've got two different ashes available for everybody. We got the good ash and we got the bad ash. And it's just kind of like, he's not really the good ash, like when you think about it. Again, he's just a guy that's kind of fed up with everything and he just wants to go fucking home. I mean, these guys don't really know what he's gone through 
prior to this. I mean, he went through a whole nother different Deadite type of thing where he was possessed, and maybe that's why we get the Badash, because the Badash actually does kind of exist inside of him as well, because he's already been possessed by the Deadites once before. And so now he's got to deal with both sides of the whole fucking situation. And he runs back into the castle, and he explains to everybody kind of what he did and kind of how he messed up. The promised one! The promised one's return! I am Yeah, great, great. Oh, yeah. oh, fuck out of my face. A Necronomicon, quickly. Did you bring the Necronomicon? Yeah, it's it's just that. Just what? Nothing. Here. Now send me back, like in the deal. When you removed the Necronomicon from the cradle, did you speak the words? Yeah, basically. Did you speak the exact words? Look, maybe I didn't say every single little tiny syllable, no, but basically I said them, yeah. Dung-eating fool! Thou hast doomed us all! When thou misspoke the words, the army of the dead awoke. Now, whoa, 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 right there, Spinach Chin. You said that you could clean this mess up once you got that book. You said there was a passage in there that could get rid of this thing and send me back. It's true. The book still possesses the power to send you back. But to us, it is useless. The evil has a terrible hunger for the Necronomicon. And it will come here to get it. We had a deal. You wanted the damn book. I got it for you. I did my part. Now you send me back. Very well. As we are men of our word, we shall honor our bargain. The wise men shall return you to your own time. Yeah? I thought he was the one. Yeah, right, because that was the deal. So when do you think we can start with all the thing in the... You know, of course. <laughs> when do you think we can start with all the uh, ceremony and the... You know, like... You know, because... <laughs> Sooner is always better than later, right? Ugh, wretched excuse for a man. The wise men were fools to trust in you. So everybody's pissed off at Ash because he wants to go back fucking home. Like I said, they don't know what he's been through, how much blood has been poured on him, how many people have died in fucking front of him, how many different monsters he's had to fight, how he's been fucking possessed, how he just had to deal with more shit in that fucking windmill, how he's had a bunch of skeletons stick their hands into his mouth and punch his fucking dick. All of these things that he's had to put up with and everybody's just like, oh, you're a fucking coward. You don't want to do anything about this because you fucked up. And honestly, he's just like, he's so caught up in everything else he's doing. I get it. You're going to forget fucking things. It's just the way things go. 
you're not always going to remember everything that you fucking do. And sometimes you're going to have a lapse in memory if you're constantly being juggled and thrown around to every fucking place that there possibly could be. So here he is. He just wants to go home. Sheila even digs into him a little bit. And he's like, she's like, what about us? He's like, there is no us. I just want to get back home. All I wanted was a quick lay and you fucking gave it to me. And she's pissed off. And then one of the flying deadites comes in, grabs her and takes her away. And then, you know, he tries to reach out there and grab her. He tries to slice at the deadite with his sword. He doesn't have his gun on him for some reason. So, and it's basically the same flying deadite from the end of Evil Dead 2, which I thought was a pretty good touch. But he does grab her away. And then we go back over and we see that there's shit going on now at the camp for the Army of Darkness. And we see that badass, he's getting his skeleton army ready by digging them up. Dig, damn you! Dig faster! I shall command every worm-infested son of a bitch that ever died in Thank battle. You, you there, handsomely now! We shall storm their castle and get my book! Hoist your damnable violence! Welcome back to the land of the living. I'll pick up a shovel and get digging. Uh, bring on the wench! Uh, come on. <laughs> Give me some shovels. Sweet little thing. Don't touch me, you foul thing. So there's a couple of things that's going on here. We'll talk about the big elephant in the room towards the end of it. But what I really love about this little scene is the use of all the practical skeletons. So everything with the... the like army of darkness in this film is either practical or somebody in a suit the ones that when they're in a suit eh, they're okay the still looks pretty good to be honest with you and but when it's blown up on a screen and what we've got now it's a little bit rough but i really like the skeletons themselves especially like with the one that gets like popped up from the grave over there and like he breathes and the dust all comes out of his mouth um I really like the way that guy looks. And and when they use those types of skeletons, when they do the stop motion skeletons, it looks really cool and it kind of holds up for the most part. The practical effects, practical effects, like I've said before, I don't think they're ever really going to like look terrible unless for some reason it's just like a thing on a string. Like you look at, no offense, old like Dracula and the bat, and the bat's on the string, and you can see the string because the 4K re- you know restoration of the film, uh, it really lets you see everything that's in there. But and and there's a lot of like old 50s and you know even some 60s horror that uses those type of effects, and even sci-fi as well. And so every once in a while you'll get something like that that maybe doesn't necessarily look the greatest, but for the most part practical effects like they're pretty on par and they stay pretty well and here i feel like all the skeletons when we have all the skeleton puppets and everything like that they look great 
especially there's one shot when the army's getting ready and they're like panning over everybody and you see some of them go like like they open their mouth there isn't much you can do with the skeleton i get it but it looks freaking great i mean it's no you know harryhausen okay but i think it still is pretty fantastic and definitely holds up after my long fucking rant so the other thing is of course is the goddamn give me some sugar like forcing himself upon sheila so that she becomes a succubus uh it's you know it's okay um i don't know i'm just i'm not as big of a fan of it now back then it was a little awkward here it's just kind of like okay it's an evil guy he's forcing himself upon her he's a you know merchant of the dead or whatever you want to call it commander of the dead and he, this is the way that he's going to get his woman. Okay, I get it. But I think with the way everything kind of goes, it's just kind of awkward nowadays to watch those type of things. And maybe it makes me seem a little sensitive, but I just kind of like, again, I don't like her character at all, so I really don't care. could have been taken out of it completely, but the only thing that she's being used for is now not just an object of good Ash's desire, but now also bad Ash's so that he can make her turn against good Ash. So we go back over into the castle and we see that everybody's kind of down because the army of the dead, they're going to come and they're going to try to take over everything. And now it's going to soon be time for a montage. Hey, get his horse. Arise. My lord, an army of the dead gather in the wilderness and they approach the castle. How far from here? We're two days' ride. Then these winged ones are only the first of them. Perhaps we should leave this place as soon as possible. We can be safe in the mountains. Yes, the mountains. It is written, Arthur. It has been foretold. They'll take our souls. I'm afraid. They'll swallow our souls. That's it. Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to Mama. Me? I'm through running. I say we stay here and fight it out. Are all men from the future loud-mouthed braggarts? Nope. Just me, baby. Just me. How will we fight an army of the dead at our castle walls? How will you fight that? More words? Most of our people have already fled. We are but 60 men. Then we'll get Henry the Red and his men to fight with us. Now! Who's with me? I'll stand by you. You can count on my steel. I'll offer up my courage. Your sword's by his side. I'm with you! Is that really all that was needed to get them on his side? Was just a little rousing speech and then for the blacksmith to be like, I'll stand with you. Like, it seems kind of ridiculous that all of a sudden, of course, this is meant to be really super cheesy in the way that it's written and the way that it's done, right? 
It just takes a couple guys and everything is going to be A-OK after that. So that's where we get a montage of him using all the stuff that is in the trunk of his goddamn car to help them make everything that they need. He makes gunpowder with the blacksmith. Not only did he make the fucking arm thing, but he manages to convert his fucking car into a weapon, like a steam-powered fucking weapon that he'll use later on in the fucking film. Like, they lift the engine and everything. Like, who the fuck is Ash? That's what I want to know right at this fucking time. What the fuck? How the fuck does he know all of this stuff? How does he know how to create gunpowder? And it just happens to be in the, like, chemistry 101 book that's in the back of his fucking car. So at one point, or he might still be a fucking college student. Who the fuck knows? But it's just, it blows my fucking mind that they're able to put all this fucking together. That everything just was like... Formed and in, they had everything to create the gunpowder that nobody else like could figure out at that time. That they were able to repair his fucking car. That you know, I get the weapons and shit like that, but they maybe make the fucking hand. It just seems so goddamn ridiculous. Like I just, I don't fucking get it. And this is just the way the movie is gonna fucking work and run. So. Basically, he also trains them in how to fight in the most ridiculous fucking, like, spear thing where it's like a swipe to the... or It's a jab forward, and then you swipe right, and then you come over the top. And it's, ho, hoo, ha! Ho, hoo, ha! Like, it's a terrible fucking form, and there's no fucking way that that's even gonna work against anybody it's so goddamn slow it's so goddamn like unmaneuverable that it it just makes no fucking sense so they prepare for the army of the dead to come by and we then go back it's now the army of the dead has come close enough it's revealed that sheila is now the succubus and now it's time for the army to march upon the living Once I possess the Necronomicon, I shall rule, and you shall be my queen. Whoa. My lord, we are positioned on both fronts. Fine, fine, fine. Where are they keeping my book? There, my lord. Beyond the drawbridge on the second wall, that would be the safest place. I will not allow anything to keep me from possessing that Necronomicon. Now, bring me forth into that castle! Forward! Forward! Cry havoc and let loose the dogs of war! So this is one of the scenes that Bill Mosley is actually in. He's not the skeleton that is talking to Badash, but he's the guy that's on his left or on the right if you're looking at the screen. So that's the guy that is labeled as Deadite Captain, and that is who Bill Mosley happens to be. He does something a little bit later in one of the little fights, but now it's all out fucking war. So the very first thing that they do is they start storming the castle, and we see Ash on top of the like the uh, 
I don't know, the wall, I guess you could say it is. Uh, it's pretty much just the wall. Uh, and uh, he's got all the archers there loaded with the gunpowder. He has the torch boy go and light all the... Is there a boy for everything, by the way? There was a bow boy, and there's a sword boy, and now there's a torch boy. What other boys could they have? I mean, you have, like, the bath boy, and then do you have, like, the poison-eating food boy... Do you have the uh, beer boy? The beer boy, probably pretty good. You know, it would probably be more like a mead boy, to be honest with you. Do you have, like, the prostitute boy? Uh, you know what? That's probably not the one that I want to even, like, think about. Let's just erase that one from memory, why don't we? So, Torch Boy goes over and he lights all the, like, the wicks at the end of the dynamite that's on, or the gunpowder, I should say, uh, at the end of the arrows. And Ash has them hold to almost forever. Until basically it's almost lit, then he has them let them fly, so that way when they hit, they explode almost instantaneously. And he basically has the army of the dead running, which gives you my favorite dumbest fucking line in this movie, but it makes me laugh every time I fucking hear it and see it. All right! <laughs> Drake, Drake. Let's get the hell out of here! It's because they're skeletons. They're from hell. <laughs> and they need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> oh, it's so fucking stupid. It's so stupid, but it makes me fucking laugh. Every, and I guess cough every fucking time that I hear this fucking line. And especially with the skeleton because he's like... Whoa! And he's like running away. It's really dumb. I get it. It's dumb, but I fucking love it. So since the army is now starting to retreat because they can't deal with the gunpowder, that definitely upsets Badash. But he lets them know that they need to get in through another fucking entrance of the damn castle so they can get his fucking book. Oh, you miserable bags of bones! Pick yourselves up and Sally fuck! Sally fuck! It's these little bit of like weird kind of, this isn't slapstick, but this is really just kind of like, I wouldn't even call it punny humor. I don't know where to put it, but it's kind of like cringe humor that's kind of going on here. You got him, his jaw doesn't quite work. I guess it's like visual humor as well, you know, and so he can't say Sally forth because his jaw constantly falls down and then he's able to pick it. He's like, Sally forth. You know, it's one of those like little things where to me it's really funny, but I can understand if it's not funny to anybody else. So they come around the other side and they're actually able to break down the, the drawbridge and enter inside the castle. Um, the, Arthur, you know, he tells Ash that, look, even though, you know, I had issues with you before, I'm glad that you're on our side and I was wrong about you. And then when the skeletons break into the castle... Ash fucking flees, and he's like, we've been left behind! Like, basically, oh crap, I just fucking, like, you know, gave him props, and then he ran away like a fucking coward. But, he doesn't. He brings out the car, and the car now has a giant blade on top of it, and he just starts killing the fucking army of darkness left and right with his giant windmill that he's got, and his helicopter blade. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that they were able to convert his, like, Oldsmobile Delta 88 into this fucking skeleton killing machine. 
But he does it, and he's going through, and everybody's cheering because it's giving him the advantage, and they're able to protect the book. And But all of a sudden, in the middle of the, the battlefield, there's Sheila, and he doesn't want to hit her, so he moves and totally destroys his fucking new ride. From here, we see that they've completely invaded the castle, and now Badash is in there and looking for them to get the book. They're starting to put ladders on the wall to get to where the book is, and there's some relatively funny scenes where they're moving the ladder and the skeletons that are holding on. They're like, no! And then he smashes and gets like a backbreaker in the back or something like that. We see that Sheila, she's shown herself to be the succubus to Ash and starts trying to fucking stab him with a spear in the dick. Again, why does everybody go after the fucking dick? But Ash is pretty, you know, clever and he's able to move out of the way and ends up throwing her off uh, and getting out of there. We see that they're, you know, Bad Ash has gotten close to, well, he started to climb the, the wall. He manages to get up and fight a couple of people off, but he throws away the ladder in time before Ash is actually able to get up on top and ultimately protect the book. He is able to get up there eventually and starts fighting with Bad Ash, but Sheila comes to Bad Ash's, uh, you know, defense, and it looks like Ash actually does kill Sheila by stabbing her in the stomach with a spear and then throwing her off the side of the building, but we all know that kind of changes later. So he starts his fight with Bad Ash, and honestly, it's a relatively fun little fight that they've got going on there. There's a lot of little bit of sword play, you know, Ash becomes a dual wielder for a time, but his proficiency isn't very good, but he's able to fend off all the different attacks. Same thing with Bad Ash, but Bad Ash definitely seems more like that level 99 boss that you've got to fight when you're just level like 62. And you can manage to get through it, but it's going to take a lot of rolling and a lot of praying to the sun god before you can actually beat the damn guy. So, you have them fight. Uh, Arthur is also getting his ass kicked. He has like two arrows in his shoulders, and he gets thrown around and knocked unconscious by Bad Ash. Eventually, in the midst of the fighting, Bad Ash does actually get the book. And, uh, you know, he's able to... Well... Ash is able to knock it from his hands and he sets Bad Ash on fire and kicks him off the the whole building, hopefully saving the day. But eventually, you know, we find out that Bad Ash has come back as Skeletal Bad Ash. Uh, And this is probably one of the I don't know, this is one of the more interesting, like, designs. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but it is fun to watch the claymation fight people, or the stop-motion fight people. Um, And that's done pretty well between the two. Eventually, the book ends up on the ground. We see that the sconce that he had that he set Bad Ash on fire has now lit a wick, I guess, of one of the dynamite, uh, big bags of dynamite that they're using with the catapults. And it's slowly burning it as it gets closer to the gunpowder that's there. Uh, Ash gets knocked off the top of the building. And it seems like all is lost because the Deadeye Captain, Bad Ash, he's now in like control of the Necronomicon. And he's about to get away. But what does he do? He stands on top of the damn gunpowder as all of a sudden, King Henry and his men have come to save the day so that the good guys can win this battle. I possess the Necronomicon! I've 
Master Pathetic Army. Now I'll have my vengeance. The Red! The Red! You can let his men come! Buckle up, bonehead, because you're going for a ride. So there's a couple of things going on. First, I should mention that when one of the times when the skeletons like broke through the gates for the first time and they were confronted, it's before the car comes out. They're confronted by everybody with the spears and that fucking move fucking works. It's fucking ridiculous. I guess it could work against the undead because the undead are fucking stupid. But the, the other thing that's kind of going on here, you know, with all the different action and stuff, and he's holding the book, and he happens to be holding the book in his right hand, and before he is launched off with the Necronomicon, Ash cuts off his right hand with that's holding the book. Kind of in an homage to what happened to him by the Deadites, so he's kind of getting a little bit of revenge against the Deadites in this scene, but he cuts off his hand, he sends bad Ash with skeletal badash flying and he gets blown up because the gunpowder eventually explodes and the day is one and prince henry last possible fucking minute and i don't know how they even managed to get a hold of him either like they didn't send a carrier pigeon did they send somebody to go like ride a couple days to go find him and then okay i'm coming and he's managed to make it right at the end when the you know everything looks so dire and everything is going to be uh end up in the wrong situation i don't fucking know but he does come and save the fucking day so now we've killed all the deadites the army of the dead has retreated whoever is left and we see that henry's men and Arthur's men, they come to a standstill, and they're looking at each other. Henry and Arthur step out, and then eventually they come together, and they hug, and everybody is now relieved because the tensions between the two nations have been quashed. We also find out that Sheila, she didn't really get killed. She's no longer a succubus. She's now reverted back to her normal human form, and she's there hugging on Ash. I mean, again, she her arc is fucking terrible in this movie. So we go, and now this is where I'm going to do something a little different. I thought I might not do it before, but I decided I'm going to do it this way. So we get to the ending of the film. Now, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to play the original theatrical ending. Now, these are both going to be relatively long because we're going to get the whole ending, but we're going to go through what, if you were in the theater... This is the ending that you would have saw, um, and which explains how Ash needs to get back, and then what happens to him when he does get back. The book tells us that once you drink this liquid and recite the words, Klaatu verata nicto, thou shalt awaken in thine own time. 
Remember, you must recite the words exactly. thought about staying they offered me the chance to lead them to teach them to to be king uh-huh but my place is here so i swallowed the juice said the words and here i am did you say the words right this time well maybe i didn't say every single tiny little syllable no but basically i said them yeah basically You know that story about how you could have been king? I, uh, I think it's kind of cute. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. Who the hell are you? Name's Ash. Housewares. Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. Hail to the king, baby. So that was the original theatrical ending for the movie. Basically, he was given a potion, he has to say the words again, and then he fucks that up, and he ends up back in our time, but the Deadites still haven't fucking been, like, vanquished, even though they were vanquished before. It's okay, it's actually a very fun ending, because then he goes in the whole thing, people don't believe him what's gone on, there's one random girl that kind of believes him that everything is gone, you know, what he says is... The fact that he has the metal fucking hand still and nobody believes what's going on after he's told the tale. But again, I get it. They're like young kids that he's telling it to and they're not really interested and probably doing anything but getting off fucking work, getting paid, and going getting your next fucking drink because I probably was at that fucking age too. But it's just kind of crazy. Like, 
even with the dead eye coming out, that's when you like the whole thing changes and he's like shooting her and he's got the rifle from the fucking S Mart and everything's back to what it was. And he ends up killing her and then he gets some sugar from the the thing and you get the lion hail to the king baby. Like all of that stuff, it is a lot more I don't want to say family friendly ending, but it's definitely more uplifting ending. Even though things are fucked up and he's still kind of a fucked up guy because he doesn't, you know, exactly say the right words once again. And it's kind of like a callback to that. At least you still end up with a happy fucking ending. Because honestly, um, well, things could have ended like this. book tells us that each drop allows a man to sleep for a century. Swallow six drops, and thou shalt awaken in thine own time. Six drops. One, two, three, four.
And so that was Army of Darkness. I almost said Evil Dead 2 for some reason, and I don't know why. But yeah, so that's what you actually get in the bootleg version. Basically, he goes, and it's instead of it having to be the words that he says, he needs to count the number of drops he takes, and he ends up taking one too many because he gets distracted by noise. That's basically what it is. Universal didn't like it because they felt the tone was way too negative, but that's what Sam Raimi really wanted. He wanted, you know, to show that, hey, even though Ash is successful, he still basically gets shit on any type of chance that you possibly get for the character. And while you still get a little bit about that in the original or you know theatrical cut, I kind of like this one a little bit better just because it ends on a post-apocalyptic world. God, why can I not save that word? Um, and it's just, I think it makes the story more interesting, kind of where everything leads. Now, I've never seen Ash vs. the Evil Dead, and maybe this is a good jumping point to sit down and actually watch the seasons that are out there. I mean, they're not very long. The episode's relatively short. And uh, it might be entertaining after watching everything. But I'm a little ashed out, to be honest with you. Um, so, in, in general, like, again, I had to look at this film at an angle of, like, what would I rate it for myself? And what do I think other people might view it as? Maybe not what other people, but looking at it more as a take myself out of the equation. There are a lot of things that are still wrong with this movie. I think sometimes the slapstick stuff, while I enjoy it, doesn't always work. Um, there isn't the horror. There's a little bit in the beginning, especially when it gets knocked into the pit. It's like kind of ramping and kind of doing what it did in the Evil Dead 2, but then it just kind of drops off and it just becomes more of an adventure movie. Like this is a fantasy film disguised as a horror film disguised as a comedy. Uh, or should I say fantasy film disguised as a comedy disguised as a horror. Um, it's just like, it really is like, you can tell that in the beginning, that with Evil Dead, he wanted to take Ash and put him into a fantasy realm, and then he was able to kind of do that at the end of Evil Dead 2, and this is him just going full-fledged, okay, this is what exactly what I wanted to do, and this is how it's being done, and he got to do what he wanted to do for this film. Um, it's just, it does fall short in some things. I don't like Sheila's art. You could just throw that character out of the fucking movie and who'd care? You know, it's just like, oh, we have to throw in this character and make there some type of, like, a romantic interest for Ash to have the movie move along. I think that's fucking bullshit, uh, and you didn't really need her at all. I mean, everything that was done didn't necessarily need to include her at all, so why even fucking include her in the movie? So, based upon a basic rating scale from what I normally do for these films, if I'm gonna look at it, um... The crap factor, it's kind of a 3 out of 5. Originally put it on a 2 out of 5, but it's a 3 out of 5. I think that there are some things that it, it just misses the mark. Some of the humor doesn't necessarily hold up. Um, and some of the, you know, some of the outfits and practical effects, they don't hold as well as others. Um, well, I would say most of the puppets and, and the stop motion stuff is fine. But when you have somebody that's dressed up, especially in some of those scenes, it just looks terrible. You can tell that it's somebody in a mask, uh, though there's some good makeup on, you know, bad Ash when he turns into the evil guy. But then I think it's a little questionable with his, uh, skeletal version of himself. And I really hate like right before he dies, he, his head pops open and there's like the whistle, woo 
like that type of thing. There is no gore in this movie, so it's a one out of five. I mean, there's blood in the beginning, there's a hand that gets cut off, there's a head that gets cut off, but most of it's done with comedic effect intact. Even when his foot goes through the nail, you don't see anything. It's obviously just being green screened. He's holding it up, the foot's stepping down on it, but never really steps down on the nail. So I'm not saying that I need to fucking see it, but I'm just saying there's really nothing gory about this film whatsoever, other than a fountain of blood towards the beginning of the film, and some appendages that got lopped off at one point or another. But it's it's basic one of the five. Now the fun factor, because of uh, Bruce Campbell's performance in this movie... I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. I think it's really fun to watch him do his craft. I think that he truly knew that he was the main draw for this movie. I mean, the fact that it was called Bruce versus the Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness, uh, at least to start until it became Army of Darkness, is you know, a reason why you're going to see this. He's, his mannerisms, his comedic timing, uh, the way that he plays both characters, both Bad Ash and Evil Ash, I think are relatively well done, and it's enough to keep that fun factor going, especially when it's focused mostly on him. When you add the other characters to it, it's kind of like, oh, okay, but we know that this is primarily just a vehicle for Bruce Campbell, and you know what? I'm practically fine with it. So overall... For the the basic rating for the film, I'm going to give this uh, a 3 out of 5 Evil Ashes. Um, I think that it's it's a middle ground movie. It's not as good as the other films in the franchise. Um, it, It definitely has room to grow and they could have done some things that maybe, you know gave it a little more life i like this this ending that comes with the bootleg cut versus the original ending a little bit more just of what it gives you but it's not to say the original cut was that bad at all i really like that ending too i just like this outcome for ash a little more maybe the negative outcome is a little bit better than the positive one that we get at the end of ash uh or the original theatrical i'm gonna say ash versus the evil dead no (laughs) out of army of darkness um Personally, it's a four out of five. Uh, it's four out of five uh, evil ashes uh, because I just really enjoyed it. I can quote it and I have such fond memories of this film. So I dock it mainly a point because I think you can still find a lot of joy out of the movie. I know for some it might be a two, it might be a one, and for others maybe it's a five out of five. I just feel personally it's a four out of five because even watching it again it brings so many memories to me that I can't disassociate it with it. But I really try to be, you know, it's it's a middle ground movie. It's a good C. You know, it's not necessarily a B or an A. Um but for me it's definitely like an A minus, but you know, four out of five or whatever you want to say it is. So with that being said that is it for Ashtober. That is all the Army of Darkness, Evil Dead, whatever you want to say, Ash movies that you can shake a stick at that have been available now. Now I hear that there's rumors that there might be another one. Is it because I decided to do all four of them at this time? Maybe. Maybe not. Probably not. It's just probably time for a new Army of Darkness or Evil Dead movie. So, uh, where are we going next? Now... November, normally I try to do a Thanksgiving movie. Eh, that well is kind of run dry. There's not a whole lot that's out there. I wish Eli Roth would actually make his full-fledged Thanksgiving film. Um, but there isn't a whole lot that I'm like, oh, I'm dying for. There was one I was looking at, but I decided uh, after much thought and consideration that... Uh, and I'm going to thank Dave for this too because 
he gave it a great title. And for next month, uh, Terrible Terror is going to drag you to hell. And he's going to take you to hell. And so we're going to start off the month. We're going to finish Sam Raimi because I want to talk about this movie too. And the first movie that's going to take us to hell is, well, I already said it, Drag Me to Hell. Mr. Jax, I was wondering if you'd made any decision regarding the assistant manager's position. It's between Stu and yourself. Stu Rubin, the new guy? Stu's someone who's not afraid to make the tough decisions. I'm perfectly capable of making the tough decisions. I'll let you know as soon as I decide, okay? Will you help me? Please. Okay. We have an elderly woman asking for an extension on her mortgage payment. We would have to throw her out of her house. We've already granted her two extensions. It's a tough decision. Your call. Another extension is out of the question. Where will I live? I'm really sorry. Never have I begged for anything. But now, I humble myself before you. I beg you. Please let go. Please let go. Security! You shame. Soon it will be you who comes begging to me. Someone has cursed you. He's the Lamia, the most feared of all demons. For the first three days, the spirit torments its victims. After that, it will come to take you. Take me where? To burn in hell for eternity. It's coming for me. Please listen to me. There is nothing coming for you. How do I get rid of this? I welcome you. You can give the curse away. So that's right, for all November long, uh, the Terrible Terror podcast is going to take you to hell in one way or another. We're going to look at a couple different types of films, um, probably stuff that you're not going to think that I would be looking at, but I wanted to just have a little fun and do a kind of little fun little thing after focusing specifically on this month. And uh, it's going to be very interesting, let me tell you, with the other movies that I picked. So... Uh, you guys got five in a row with including me doing this of, of, you know, four Sam Raimi films and one Sam Raimi produced film. So I hope you guys have enjoyed all of October. I do this every year. Uh, and man, is it, uh, <laughs> is it a pain in the ass? Uh, but no, it's, it's a lot of fun. I always like looking at stuff and I'm going to figure out what's going on for next month or n- not next month, but next October already. I, I should start planning it right away. And we may be doing another theme month. Um, as we move into more of the summer months of next year. So let's think about it or something that's like actually a month long worth of stuff, but we'll see what happens, uh, and how everything goes. I want to make sure that everybody is on the same page for what I'm planning on doing for that. 
So with that being said, don't forget to check out the all the 31 and 31 horror reviews that I've done for the month of October. It's almost done. It'll be finished up this coming Thursday in Halloween. Um, and it has been a fun little ride looking at all of the totally 80s like horror movies that we're doing. Now you can find all of those little videos, those reviews, they're available on things that you can subscribe to, like the Facebook page, the Instagram page, the YouTube channel, except for Twitter. That's the only place that it isn't on. So um, I thank you guys very much for taking the time to listen to these fun episodes. And we'll see you next time with Drag Me to Hell. Later. Later.